Torah Resource presents the Rob and Caleb Show. All aboard! And now, from two sides of the same state, here they are, Rob and Caleb. What up? Shalom. And welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. My name is Caleb Hegg. And with me, as always, my friend, my mentor, my teacher, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? Caleb, how's it going? It's going good, man. How are you? Doing very well. Yeah. Uh, did you have, let's see here, pass, you know, I'm all discombobulated on the days here because, you know, I think it's I think it's having a Shabbat in the middle of a festival because you have a Shabbat to start with, a Shabbat to end with, and then there's your weekly Shabbat in the middle. And it got me all mixed up on days. But uh, yeah, we haven't talked. I know, so- how, I know how it is. Yeah. I just had uh, for lunch. My last little bit of matzah, just because we haven't got any bread yet, and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to some nice. Uh, I ate more. Bread. Ma- yeah, I ate more matzah this year during Passover than I ever have. I think in all the previous. Uh, Did you eat uh, lots of matzah? I, I ate lots of matzah. That's right. Yeah, no, it was a it was a good Passover for us. What about you? Yeah, we we really really got a wonderful Passover. Just partied it up, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Robin Caleb Show. The past two shows, we have discussed the chronology of the crucifixion, a very controversial topic. And uh, yeah, so this this week we're doing something new. I'm excited about it. Uh, but first, if you want to get a hold of us, send us an email, radio at TorahResource.com. Radio Resource.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Caleb Hegg, two G's and Hegg, or you can follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Vanhoff, two F's in Vanhoff. And speaking of social media, you might think this week that we need to talk about what has been blowing up Facebook, which is this whole controversy with Michael Rood and what he did during his Passover Seder. We're not going to talk about that at all. All I want to say is if you are a supporter of Michael Rood, stop it. Um, also, speaking of social media, for those who don't know, Rob Vanhoff actually has a Facebook page now. And uh, this is recent, right? When did you get your Facebook page, Rob? Well, I, I had it, you know, a couple of years ago. Uh, just because a bunch of friends and acquaintances from high school were doing it and my wife did it and I kind of logged in, you know, and created a little page. But then like two years went by and I didn't touch it or, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe a whole year and I'd look at it once. Mm-hmm. So I've been trying to kind of get into it and kind of see what it's all about. Well, who, uh, yeah, I don't know who, even how to say this guy's last name, but uh, one of Rob's high school buddies tagged him in a photo And for those of you who are on Facebook, I would highly, highly recommend finding Rob Van Hoff on Facebook (laughs) and seeing the mighty mullet that uh, Mr. Van... 1989. Oh, man. This thing is... Is your hair permed? Is that what's going on? No, no. Oh, man. It's just Goldilocks. Oh, man. Uh, Okay, let me explain. Let me set the picture for, for our listeners who might not be around a computer right now. Uh, you can find this on Rob Van Hoff's timeline. Uh, I highly recommend taking a look at this. He's in the middle of this photo. He's got th- there's three guys in the photo. Rob's in the middle. They're uh, they're on graduation day. Rob's taller than both of his friends, and he's got the, this blonde hair coming down. You can tell it's a mullet because in the front it goes down like his eyebrows, and then in the back he's got hair past his shoulders, and it just it is it is such a mighty mullet. It's awesome. Well, the three of us have mighty mullets. <laughs> That's true. It's it's a mullet fest. It looks yeah, it's yeah. it's and for you know I realized this last week we've get, been getting a lot of emails about the chronology and all that kind of stuff. You know, a couple of weeks ago I said that there was only five people listening to us, and then I got all these emails from people saying no, 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 we listen, we listen. So we upped it to twenty five, and then we got people uh, saying no, 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 we listen too. And actually, I had an email from somebody this last week who said uh, my my eight and nine year old. Uh, keep telling me that I got to listen to the Rob and Caleb show. So uh, we do have some younger uh, listeners, and that's great. We're glad you're listening to us. And uh, if you don't know what a mullet is, uh, business in the front, 
party in the back. Ask your parents. In fact, if your parents, if you, if you ask your parents and they say that they had mullets, please ask your parents to see pictures because it is <laughs> hilarious. I never had a mullet, but my brother did, and uh, it, that it, that's that's still funny to me. <laughs> oh man, yes, good times. Well, since Passover just ended, and uh, one of the questions that always comes up at Passover is what about people who aren't circumcised? And uh, I know that we have some young ears, so we're going to be very sensitive. But this week on the show, we're going to talk about circumcision. And and, uh, we're going to talk about the significance of circumcision. Rob has done some extensive work on the subject of circumcision. We're not probably going to get to that. We might. We might get to that work that he's done today. But it might have to carry over till next week because this is just such a large subject. But that's okay. So uh, the first question, we'll, we'll, we'll segue. When we're supposed to be able to do this. People in radio can do this really well. Rob and I aren't really in radio. We're, we're, we're not professionals by any stretch of the imagination. But we'll try to segue. So Passover, you're, those who take part in the Passover uh, lamb are supposed to be circumcised. So one of the questions that I have heard recently is, oh, well, what about people? Should I invite people that I know aren't, you know, most likely aren't circumcised? Should I invite them to my Passover Seder? I'm going to give you the easy answer to that, and then we're going to get into circumcision. The easy answer is absolutely you should invite them because we don't have a temple, which means we don't have the Passover lamb. And the only requirement for uh, someone to be circumcised at Passover is to actually eat the Passover lamb. It has nothing to do with a Passover Seder. So if you want to invite your non-believing friends to a Passover Seder, by all means, go ahead. Maybe, they, uh, maybe they'll maybe they learn something, and uh, maybe the Lord will use that to bring them to uh, salvation. Not only that, but we actually have a wonderful family in our congregation, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, that originally came to one of our big uh, Passover Seders that we used to do. We don't do them anymore. Uh, at the congregation that I attend, and uh, they we used to do these extravagant Passover seders, and one of the families that is with us now, they actually found out about our congregation through that Passover seder, and so, uh, not that they weren't believers, they were, but uh, yeah, anyway, so that being said, if you have non-believing friends who want to check out what a Passover seder is, by all means, next year, invite them on in. Now, if the temple was built, and we were actually sacrificing the Passover lamb at Passover, that would be a different story. But that isn't the case. So let's talk about circumcision. Uh, This is a little bit of a touchy subject, so we're going to try to be, I know that there are young ears listening to us. We will try to be very uh, aware of that, and we will try to be sensitive to those young ears. But let's talk just at the outset about what circumcision is. If you don't know, my father has written a paper on this. We will reference this several times throughout this show today. The uh, article that he wrote was actually presented in 1999. That was a long time ago. One year after the picture of Rob and his mighty mullet, uh, <laughs> my father presented a paper at uh, the, the regional uh, meeting of the Evangelical Theological Society, also known as the ETS. It is called Circumcision as a Sign to Theological Significance. And uh, you can find that under English articles on the Torah Resource website. Um, So it's very heady. It is very heady. But uh, if you want to take a look at that, by all means, go ahead. I'm going to be referencing his conclusion several times throughout this show. So let's get started. Rob, is there anything that you want to say or anything that you uh, want to address before we get started just on a general overview of circumcision? Well, yeah, just before we dive in, I I think... You know, our best approach would would be to adopt a chronological approach. In other words, when I say chronology, I'm talking about if you imagine a scale of time from the more ancient to the more recent, mm-hmm. that we start in the more ancient and we move forward. And why do I uh, say that is because when we get to, for example, uh, the epistle to the Romans mm-hmm. or to the Galatians, for example, the term circumcision, capital C, start, starts to, uh, by the first century, has a sociologically defined group identity type of meaning. 
um, that creates an insider-outsider dichotomy with over against what acrobustia, which is, means the foreskins, which is often translated uncircumcision. You, know, you have the, the circumcision and the uncircumcision, and, and really in Greek it's the circumcision and the foreskins. So it's the it's like uh, sounds like the football team, <laughs> football teams. <laughs> but but in fact, it's really insider language, right? For for uh, Jews that are zealous for a certain set of Torah traditions mm-hmm. and uh, are seeing Gentiles as somehow excluded unless they adhere to essentially what we're going to call works of the works of the Torah. And um, so when we're talking about circumcision in uh, the realm of, let's say, those two epistles or other places in the apostolic writings, we need to be a little more careful than, for example, when we're just reading the plain narrative of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, uh, I think that uh, if we do adopt a chronological approach to our discussion, we start with maybe the Torah first, and we, we don't, uh, or we try to be careful of importing, uh, you know, too much from the apostolic writings until we get uh, kind of the foundational uh, elements in in place. Okay. What, what, what do you think about that? No, I think that's absolutely right. So let's actually start with the foundational elements then. Let's start with what is circumcision. Circumcision is given, uh, well, uh, yeah. Okay. Circumcision, uh, the command for circumcision uh, as the sign of the Mosaic covenant is given in Genesis seventeen ten and following. Um, and my father's paper actually is going to talk about circumcision in the narrative of Genesis 12 through 17. So if you're going to look at uh, my father's paper, he actually is going to break down Genesis into s- several different sections and talk about those sections. Um, so Genesis 7, uh, 17, 10 and following says that the males who are born, I'm obviously paraphrasing here. I'm not, I'm not quoting anything. I don't even have the text in front of me, but, uh, the males who are born, uh, into the covenant, uh, need to be circumcised. They need to have the foreskin taken away. And so circumcision was only given for, um, for males. And that is theologically important in my mind. Um, and, Actually, my father, walking by, just uh, handed me a note. I said Mosaic Covenant. Let me rephrase that. It's not a sign of the Mosaic Covenant. I'm glad he caught me on that. It's a sign of the Abrahamic Covenant. And so let's talk about the Abrahamic Covenant uh, in general. Uh, Rob, you want to take this one? Well, sure. You know what? Uh, maybe maybe we could even step back once more uh, to to recognize that circumcision was not exclusive to to to, Ju- to Judaism or to Israel. To Abraham. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm glad you bring that up because the the um, the Egyptians we know circumcised. Uh, my father touches on this in his article actually, uh, but there were uh, a number of different people groups that circumcised before Abraham was given the command to circumcise as a sign for the uh, Abrahamic covenant. Is that correct? That's correct. And and in a, many ways, like for example, in the in the three-year Torah cycle right now we're reading in uh, Leviticus and we oh are you guys on the three-year I thought you were on the one year we're or sorry on the on the one year okay uh, I, in my dreams I want us to be on the three year. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe this uh, fall when we when we shift into uh, when we finish the one year we'll shift to the three but in any case we in the in the one year pardon me yes we're, we're in the Vaikra mm-hmm. and there's all sorts of examples of uh, commandments that uh, particularly tied to the priesthood, that that can seem really strange, uh, and uh, it's just like, well, what? That doesn't make any sense. Why? Well, that just sounds strange to our modern ear. Mm-hmm. But when we understand the context, when we understand that other nations were doing practices that were very similar, they were sacrificing animals, for example, and they were doing certain things, and time and time again, we hear, "Do not do it the way I tell you." Don't do anything the way the Canaanites or the way they did it in Egypt. You know, in other words, there is a cultural uh, kind of location that Israel is in when they're being commanded the Torah, God's ways. Mm-hmm. That there, the, the commandments that they're receiving, the ways to walk in, are often uh, composed of elements that the foreign peoples are using also, mm-hmm. but. It's to be done differently. 
Okay, and absolutely. the significance, you know, uh, and there's many examples of this sort of thing. But when it comes to circumcision, that's another one of those things. It's another one of those things that's not, it's not just the removal of, of foreskin that is, is even Israelite in nature. It's the context, it's the, it's the story, and it's uh, particularly that it's an infant, male, not, not a, 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 um, a man that is, Older. I think it was, yeah. is it in Egypt that it was, the circumcision was of uh, uh, the male before it was like part of the preparing to become married mm. and to be a father. So this, uh, just the, the radical shift uh, to infant, you know, eighth day circumcision is something that all of a sudden now it's different in Israel. Okay, you're getting and ahead of me. And why is that? Yeah, wait, you're getting ahead of me here because okay, I want to t- because I, I want to touch on the eighth day and why we would circumcise on the eighth day. I do want to touch on that in a few seconds, but first I want to talk just about the Abrahamic covenant in general. Um, the Abrahamic covenant. What is the Abrahamic covenant? Now, this is. I mean, it's amazing to me as we start to talk about these kind of things how much we see salvation as the theme of the of the Torah and of uh, uh, the theme of uh, Tanakh and into the apostolic scriptures. All of scripture is basically pointing to the idea of God redeeming His people and uh, being able to commune once again with them uh, in in a state of of holiness. Uh, something that humans in general uh, don't have right now. We don't have this state of, we're not in a perpetual state of holiness and uh, cleanness in terms of our lives because of Adam and uh, the fallen nature of man. So from the very beginning, from the beginning of the narrative of Genesis, we see this theme of uh, trying to get back right with God. And we are promised from the very beginning uh, we're promised that the seed, we're promised the seed will come and this seed is going to bruise the head of the serpent. And so then this seed takes over the narrative throughout all of the Torah into the Tanakh and, uh, and you really see the, uh, seed, the, the so-called seed quote unquote seed, uh, you see this, uh, motif really take full shape in the Abrahamic covenant and that Abrahamic covenant is that God would bless all of the nations through Abraham and that through Abraham, we would see this seed quote unquote seed come, which is the Messiah. So the Abrahamic covenant in general is a prophecy and a promise of the coming Messiah that he would come and redeem his people, not just uh, physical Israel as the, as the Jewish uh, people today believe that he will come and overthrow the other governments, but rather that, that the Messiah would come and do a miraculous work which would pay the price for our sin. And so that is what the Abrahamic covenant uh, signifies to me. Thoughts on that, Rob? Yeah, and, and uh, I, I'm right along with you there, Caleb. Particularly when we look at the development as your father does in the article cover, spanning from uh, Genesis 12 to 17, the development of Abraham's faith. Mm-hmm. And also uh, Isaac, you know, who is Isaac w- with respect to Ishmael? And uh, how the gospel is embedded in that whole uh, story, that whole narrative of, about Abraham believing um, in, uh, what is it? chapter 15, mm-hmm. um, that it was accredited to him as righteousness. It's, it wasn't his leaving Ur of the Chaldees. It wasn't uh, him go taking the victory over the, the kings uh, in chapter 14 of Genesis. It was his belief that... In that coming seed. In the coming seed, although that his, his wife was barren. Yeah. Right? And looking up, seeing the stars... Uh, he says, if you can count them, and there's no way to, to, to count yeah. them, obviously. Yeah. The idea is that it had to be something. Abraham, when it says he, he believed in Adonai and it was counted to him as righteousness, that Abraham got it. He got the core lesson that this is it's about what God says and that he is good to his word. And that, and that is what it is. It's nothing that Abraham does. And that's why I think it's so important to, for us to remember that embedded with something 
as you know, the removal of the foreskin from the flesh of a of a uh, eight year old male, mm-hmm. you know, tied to this idea that faith is not a work. Yeah, faith is not a work. It's not something that we do and then sets me apart from someone else, and then I can boast about, oh, look what I did, and they didn't. Well, uh, and, and beyond that, Rob, the other point is is that notice, and we're talking about circumcision and faith here, justification by faith. Abraham was justified by his faith earlier, and then after he was he was justified by faith in the coming seed. Then he was circumcised. So for all of our friends out there who might uh, believe in some kind of ritual conversion process, uh, notice that you don't, you're not in, you know, Abraham wasn't in once he became circumcised. No, Abraham was considered righteous by God. And after that, after he was declared righteous by God, then he was circumcised. And Right. And part of the lesson there, too, back to the, just the story of uh, the promise, how they try to work it out, right? Sarah and Abraham try to work out, like he's still Avram at this time, right? And mm-hmm. they try to work out the promise. Well, I guess we got to, you know, God told us this and somehow we need to do something to make it happen. And uh, so Sarah says, you know, well, how about, how about Hagar, you know, and now, so, and, now, and now we're actually getting into the question of why males? Circumcision was given for males only and not for females. Why is that? Ladies don't feel left out um, <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. Um, circumcision was given to males, and why? Because Abraham tried to bring this promised seed through his own. Uh, he tried to work it out himself. His own flesh. Yeah, uh, he, his, I mean, if we were to import a word from Paul. Yeah, that's right. But through uh, his own, is, you're, you're absolutely yeah. right. So uh, he tried to do it himself. He tried to uh, bring it all about through his own means. And what were those means? Through Hagar. And uh, God said, absolutely not. And I see circumcision as a not not only a sign of well, it's a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. So it's a pr- prophecy of the of what was the coming Messiah, and it is still a prophecy of that Messiah that came and was and is still going to come again a second time. Because just as Isaac would come through miraculous means, so the Messiah would not come through a common act of uh, procreation, but rather through miraculous means. Yeah, I. miraculous. I. Yeah, in, in an impossible. The, situation where not only was Sarah barren, which we're told that back in, I think, Genesis 11, Mm -hmm. but not only was she barren, but now she's also beyond uh, menopause. She's beyond the... So it's like a double double whammy whammy. in terms of impossibility from humans' uh, point of view. And so what's the sign? We cut away the flesh and with the the actual coming of the seed, quote unquote, once again, with the actual coming of the seed, what is taken away in that whole equation? Uh, well, uh, a virgin was was uh, going to give birth to the to the Messiah, and so that uh, once again, I'm trying to be very careful for our young ears. Once again, the uh, that part of the equation of the uh, coming of the Messiah was taken away, uh, and so we we see that we see this whole thing play out with the cutting away of the flesh in the act of circumcision. Okay, so um, I'm going to read just my father in his paper. I said I was going to reference this, so I want to reference just a couple of things here in his paper. He has five different points in his conclusion. I'll read the first one now, and then we'll just, at random times, maybe, I don't, even, I don't, I don't know. At random times, I'll throw in one of these. So the first uh, c- conclusion point that he makes in this paper is the narrative structure of Genesis 12 through 17 would indicate that circumcision is given as a sign of divine intervention to resolve a complication. The complication is Abraham's attempt to gain the promise offspring through fleshly means. The divine intervention is the promise of seed by divine uh, divine fiat. Circumcision pictures this by the casting away of the flesh of the organ of procreation. In this way, faith in El Shaddai, the giver of offspring, continues to be the hallmark of the covenant. Okay, so I, that's uh, he uh, essentially wrapped up what we just said. So let's let's move on to the eighth day, Rob. I uh, have been kicking this one around in my brain a little bit. I actually wrote down just a, a quick little thought the other day when I was when I was thinking about this. But let me get your thoughts on this. Why did God tell us to do it on the eighth day? And don't give me the uh, standard. It medically is the time to do it. 
No, I, I, well, <laughs> apparently that's true, but I don't know that. Uh, <laughs> I, I doubt that's why God told us to do it on the, the eighth day. Do you oh, have indeed, any? Indeed, that's, uh, the Torah does not teach us that, obviously. Um, but obviously on the flip side, God would never command us to do anything that would uh, put, the, you know, that would be not appropriate uh, well, in terms I, of what a body could do. Could I, do I, think could that, I think that everything in the Torah... And in the in the whole sixty six books sixty six books of our canon, I don't think that there's anything that uh, is just uh, you know by chance. Everything is put there for a reason. So the eighth day has to be significant. What are your thoughts on the eighth day? Well, my thought is, um, you know, it's it's midrashic because we don't know too much. We know from now if we do move forward to the words of Yeshua in the Gospel of John, he says, you know. He says that they circumcise on the Shabbat, um, and so that circumcision overrides the Shabbat. In other words, it's... Uh, in other words, the commandment of circumcision is more important than the commandment to rest on Shabbat. Yeah. In other words, you, you, you don't avoid, you know, if someone, it's, if it's the eighth day... That's when you do of, it. A, ...of an infant, and it's Shabbat, then it doesn't matter that it's Shabbat. You still do the work required um, for to accomplish the circumcision. And, mm-hmm. and, and Yeshua says this uh, very plainly. You know, this is just the case. And, and the rabbis, of course, uh, agree. Although that later on, there, there is some navigation, that there is some uh, uh, variable uh, workings with the time factor if, if there's a Shabbat involved. But that's Talmudic, so that's later. But in any case, um, that, that there is a very important aspect uh, that could have to do with the seven days of creation and the eighth day being a new, uh, like a new creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you know, you're the, actually hitting on my on my theory. Keep going, or, and, or are you done? <laughs> no, that, that's that's basically it. The idea that there's uh, the six days, there's the seventh days of Shabbat, and then the the first day of the new uh, uh, after that Shabbat is is like a new creation. And so there is a, a midrashic element from the Torah's perspective that circumcision is uh, a sign. It, it does not enact a new creation, but it is a sign of uh, the new creation, which is in our, our identity in Messiah, you know, who the ultimate new creation life is Yeshua's resurrection life that we all participate in. Um, that's, okay. that's, uh, no, I think, I, I, I think you're right on point. Let me, let me read to you. And for those who might think that we have all these planning meetings on how we're going to talk about stuff, uh, Rob and I haven't talked about, uh, our notes or anything. So this is all new to Rob as well. Uh, this is what I wrote down, Rob. Tell me what you think about this. I said, uh, the eighth day seems to be a picture of eternity. And the only festival we have with eight, with an eighth day is Sukkot, which represents eternity. Since the Messiah would usher in the eternal reign of his kingship, so this sign would be a uh, representation of this. In other words, it's a representation of the Messiah and him ushering in his eternal reign. And therefore, we, we, we put this sign on our children. What do you think about that? Oh, that, that sounds right. I think some of the early... Uh Church fathers, and I don't have it in front of me. Uh, maybe Justin Martyr. Mm-hmm. I believe there is a, a a very early, what we would call Christian midrash on the the idea of the eighth day, um, with respect to circumcision along those same lines, um, but this the, along the lines of new creation. Yeah, and actually, so uh, another thing that pops into my head that I, I don't even have on my notes, but another thing that pops into my head is the idea that uh, you have within the Christian church, you have the idea that baptism has now replaced circumcision. And this is where you get the whole argument of pedo-baptism or uh, baptism of infants. Should we be baptizing children on the eighth day? Um, We're going to talk more about that. And not only that, but I I think that uh, for those listeners who might have just stumbled on to our show uh, or are listening to us for the first time, Rob and I have actually already done uh, shows on one-law theology and our viewpoint of 
of keeping the commands of Torah. And I'll just state it once again. We believe that the, uh, the, the commands of Torah still apply today. So we don't believe that circumcision, uh, has been done away with. And we're going to talk about that in the, uh, when we get back from break as well. We're going to talk first about, uh, paedobaptism and the idea that, uh, baptism has replaced, uh, circumcision. And then we're also, going to talk about the idea of Paul saying that circum you know basically the question did Paul say that we don't have to circumcise it sure seems like he did in Galatians 5 2 through 3 so get your Bibles out we'll be talking about that we're going to talk more about circumcision when we get back from break we'll be right back after this You're listening to The Rob and Caleb Show. That's right. You are listening to The Rob and Caleb Show. We're talking about circumcision. We're trying to be very sensitive for little ears. But before we go on, it's time for a tech minute. Let's do this. As many of you know, one of my points of interest in study is church history. If you enjoy church history, then a fun app for you might be Trigloda. This app is provided by Joyful Games and can be found in the App Store by typing the word Lutheran into the search bar in the App Store. Trigloda is the fourth app in this search. Trigloda gives many of the foundational documents for the Lutheran faith and Reformed history in general. Included in this app are the three ecumenical creeds, Augsburg Confession, Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Of the Power and Primacy of the Pope, Small Catechism, Large Catechism, Catalog of Testimonies, and more. This is a simple app, and there isn't much to it, but it is nice to have this material on hand for reference and simply for the knowledge. Triglota is totally free and takes up 896 kilobytes. However, it is only compatible with the iPhone and iPad, and for this reason, I give 3 out of 5 stars for Triglota. You know, it should be noted, I, I should also say on that, that uh, I obviously don't agree with everything, with all, you know, all those creeds and everything. That's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, it's just nice that, you know, I, I enjoy church history, so I like going through all those uh, all those creeds and all that all that kind of stuff. I have a couple of different apps on my phone like that. Uh, so if you if that kind of stuff interests you as well, uh, it's, it's a fun app. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, Caleb. When it comes to history, we we, we shouldn't bury our heads in the sand. You know, whether we're dealing with uh, church history, if we're dealing with uh, rabbinic literature, if we're, re- or if we're dealing with like the Dead Sea Scrolls or, you know, or other uh, books from the Second Temple period that aren't part of the canon, um, it's good to to be aware of what's there and and to have some, some study time involved in, in the general history. That's right. Of course, it doesn't replace, you know, our priority is, is studying the scriptures, of course, and, and not neglecting that. But um, Many of you might not know, but uh, Rob is uh, teaching a class right now at Torah Resource Institute called Contemporary Judaisms. I am one of his students in that class. And I have to say, the reading material thus far has been excellent. I have really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was going to be really difficult and hard to to get through all the the literature, but man, if you guys out there listening ever have a chance to take that course, it is a lot of reading. We're we're actually not as bad as I thought. We're up to what about a hundred pages? We read about a hundred pages a week, uh, so it's not that. I bad. try to shoot for about that, but yeah. it, sometimes it's a little more. It, 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 there's a couple weeks later on that are lighter, and I, I put them in there just because it feels like oh, I can. Breathe a little, my breath, and <laughs> absorb a little. Oh, I think it's great. We're I, I'm having a I'm having a great time reading about it. And basically, the whole the whole course right now up to this point, where we just hit the fourth week, uh, the whole course up to this point is talking about um, uh, oral tradition. Basically, our, our, is is the Talmud, Mishnah, and all that kind of stuff. What what's the mindset on that in, in Judaism? Anyway, so uh, all that being said, if you ever get a chance, it's an excellent course. I highly recommend taking it. I'm having a great time in it. But let's get back to our topic at hand, which is circumcision. And uh, so out of circumcision 
and the Christian idea, the Christian church idea, uh, and I make a very blanket blanket statement when I say the Christian church idea, so uh, just bear with me on that. Uh, but within uh, normative Christianity today, I would say, uh, and I know I'm 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 making one of the horrible mistakes that uh, Mr. Van Hoff always always pegs people on, which is I'm not defining my terms, but uh, hopefully you'll forgive me for that. Basically, the overall uh, idea in the Christian church today is that uh, since the law of Moses has been done away with, circumcision therefore is done away with, and they always reference Galatians 5, 2 through 3, among other things. And uh, therefore, baptism has taken its place. And for our younger audience, uh, you might not know that baptism is what is called in the Christian church one of the sacraments. Uh, sacrament. Another sacrament would be uh, the the communion, uh, eating the bread and the juice. On and different churches do that different at different times. Uh, but one of the quote unquote sacraments would be baptism. And so this whole idea, or this whole controversy, uh, began very early in Reformed history, at the very beginning of Reformed history, because the Catholic Church uh, believed that that you should baptize a infant at eight days. Uh, to replace circumcision. So I don't believe in pedo-baptism, and I can almost guarantee that uh, Mr. Van Hoff does not as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that whole issue, Rob? Yes, I I remember uh, working through some of this stuff, you know, and you mentioned Galatians, you know, and, and it's tough. It's tough to understand some of our you know, translations that have come down to us, you know, by uh, in English language, when we're trying to understand the Apostle Paul and how, how you know, for those in the, in the larger, quote, church that have a heart for the Lord, and they're depending on what they're hearing their preachers uh, preach and, and the English language that they have, and they see, you know, no conflict, for example, with Easter Sunday and having ham for dinner, you know, I mean, that, that, that's, I mean, I came out, I came out of that. Yeah. So I, Most I of us did, how, I think. There, there's a certain plausibility that that world has that's sustainable if you don't push, if you don't pop the bubble, if you don't, if you, that's if you right. don't push the, the edges, uh, there's a little happy place, I think, that people find. Um, the question is, how do we gently uh, guide through, through our own you know, sharing of the joy of, of walking in the commandments and our uh, emphasis that that we're not trying to earn by any means. Are, are we uh, of a, uh, some kind of thought process that assumes that we are earning points with God or anything like well, that? Well, beyond that, Rob, that one of the points that should be made is that the, the sign of circumcision was not a sign, and I'm glad my father caught me on this earlier in the show, it's not a sign of the Mosaic Covenant. It's a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. The sign of the Abrahamic covenant uh, is a is the sign of the Messiah, and uh, I think that any of our Christian brothers and sisters would uh, agree and admit uh, admit and agree that uh, you know the the Messiah. You know, we don't need to get away. We don't need to do away with the Abrahamic covenant because the Abrahamic covenant is still a very foundational covenant. Uh, for the Christian church and for all of us as believers in Yeshua as the Messiah. And so uh, it's not a sign of the Mosaic Covenant. And therefore, even in the theology, and of course Rob and I don't agree with this, but even in the theology that the Mosaic Covenant has been done away with, and now we're in the New Covenant, uh, you can listen to our previous shows on that. Uh, but anyway, even with that theology circumcision was not a part of the Mosaic Covenant. It was a part of the Abrahamic Covenant. And so I, I think that's one of the things that needs to be stated. Uh, the other thing that needs to be stated is that uh, uh, baptism is a sign of the individual. It's a person saying, I'm taking this belief and this foundational truth of the Messiah. I'm becoming a new person myself. Whereas circumcision is a sign of of generations, so it's a sign that the parents uh, believe, 
you know, they, they pass that sign on to their children and therefore it's a sign that they believe. It, it's not that the, that the uh, child believes, but that the child is being brought into the covenant uh, through through their parents. And I think that this is, uh, we're kind of all over the place with this because circumcision reaches into, you know, the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, as I said, reaches into so many different parts of scripture. And uh, one of the parts that I'm thinking of now is the idea in, in Deuteronomy and in Exodus, uh, where it says that visiting the iniquities of the fathers to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, uh, I I take that to mean that if a person who is part of the uh, the covenant uh, decides that they don't want to have anything to do with it, uh, when they have children, their children are still uh, you know the the uh, covenant still applies to the children, and throughout generations it applies to, to the children, and so uh, the circumcision is a sign saying that, that that covenant is being passed down through the generations. Rob, your thoughts on all that? Uh, right. Yeah, I would uh, agree with what you're saying. And and the issue with in popular, you know, evangelical Christianity, I think, is there's almost a sometimes a, a boast in uncircumcision. Mm-hmm. Like Agreed, like yeah. like the idea of well, it and it it just parallels. Oh, you know, we're not we, we don't the law doesn't apply. We're not bound by law. We're not bound by law. And there's almost uh, I, I think the same bold step is made with calling the first day of the week Shabbat mm, in some mm-hmm, circles. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's a um, a type of interpreting the tradition in a way that um, really has a, a very <laughs> uh, leavened. You know, I think it's it's. Um, I don't know what word I'm looking for here. Puffed uh, up. Uh, puffed up. I, I don't want to say arrogant, except I think that in time, it, in times it, it can it, become it, arrogant. Yeah. It can be arrogant. And I, uh, I know that, you know, a lot of people grow up and like me, you know, I, I didn't, I grew up in a very conservative Lutheran tradition that considered itself as like the last group of believers on earth, you know, of well, the doesn't true it, faith. Yeah, but it's interesting you say that. Doesn't everybody think that, though? I mean, if they, yeah. they, the Catholics say if you're not part of the Catholic Church, you're not in. The Baptists, basically, they don't say it, but they basically, I mean, the idea is if you're not part of the Baptist Church, you got something wrong. And the Lutherans, I mean, all down through the line, the Lutherans, the Methodists, you name it, the Mormons, the, I mean, and obviously, I'm not, I'm not saying that the Mormons or, you know, even the Catholics. Like, for uh, example, I'll give you an example. So, where there was a, a, my sister had a wedding. I was, she's uh, one of the first kids. I'm one of the last kids, so there's quite a, a many years between us. But I remember as a kid going, and her her uh, father-in-law to be was a Lutheran of a different stripe, and he had a beautiful tenor singing voice. But he was not permitted to sing at the wedding because of. And now we're talking intra-Lutheran. We're not talking Lutheran and. Uh, Presbyterian or Lutheran and, you know. Yeah, Lutheran and Lutheran. <laughs> uh, you know, we're talking between Lutheran and Lutheran. Um, and any, anyway, why, that's, this is a digression, but it shows how this is what we call the works of the law, really. No, well, he uh, wasn't allowed to sing at the wedding. Why? Because, because he was because part he of was a the, different. He was a, of a liberal brand of, of Lutheran. Lutheran. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was uh, like, like uh that kind of that's where the rubber meets the road, you know. Like, in and you have a, a special, you know, celebration of a life event, you know, and that's these kind of doctrines can get in the way. But we, it is confusing if we don't understand the first century context. Of what what did circumcision mean in the Second Temple period? What were the different meanings that were being promoted by different? Uh, Jewish groups that had their own agendas. What was the popular meaning? What did it mean for a non-Jew to come and inquire about circumcision? What kind of answers would they have gotten? Mm -hmm. And Paul is writing as a a loud, clear trumpet voice in the midst of a bunch of noise in Mm -hmm. in that realm. And he is, takes us right back to the Torah time and time again. He says, we got to build it from the Torah um, for example, in Romans 4.11, he, he says the circumcision is a sign or that Abraham received the circumcision as a sign and it's a seal of the righteousness of faith 
which he had still being uncircumcised. And and he's trying to he's just demonstrating, trying to say, look, you guys, let's just read just the simple Torah. Abraham was he believed he had he had saving faith. It was counted to him as tzedakah, as righteousness. He's a covenant member. God sees him as as uh, righteous by his faith, and he's uncircumcised. Therefore, we have to let the Torah define these categories for us rather than our uh, anxieties post-Maccabean. We're afraid of Gentiles. The Gentiles have been trying to take away the Torah from us, take circumcision away from us, take, uh, uh, you know, all our traditions, and, trying to make okay. us eat unclean food. We, we hate these Gentiles. They're, they don't have a covenant. Um, we are special. We are the only ones chosen by God to, to uh, walk in his holy Torah. And, and so what you have is a, kind of this natural um, resistance rise up um, that is anti-Gentile in mm-hmm. a lot of circles. It wasn't all across the board, but in many circles it was. And um, so circumcision then came to mean those Jews who were zealous for the Torah and also were part of this, uh, you know, insider group that that held Gentiles way out. You know, no, you don't even belong here. Get out of here. You're not one of us. Um, and the circumcision then also became in some groups that if you wanted, if a Gentile even got to a position where they could even... Uh, have a little window opportunity to, to jump on board and, and to become an insider, they still had X, Y, and Z that they had to do to demonstrate uh, this transformation from status of outsider to becoming insider. And this, all of this kind of, uh, this new meaning, the sociological meaning uh, became, uh, it, it became what defined this idea of, of circumcision on the eighth day. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what people mean. So that then that became the popular meaning and the simple meaning of the Torah that that uh, that Paul's laying out for us in Romans four verse eleven and twelve. That simple meaning was like no one was paying attention to it because the the leaven of of doctrines had accumulated around the the desire to protect and armor up against. Uh, the feared oppression of, of the Gentile other from the holy people. Well, hang on, hang on just a second. I want to, I want to go back to something you said, because once again, I'm trying to be more and more uh, uh, sensitive to the fact that we do have some younger ears. And so I want to just clarify something, you know, there's been times in history for, for the kids out there, there have been times in history where um, Jews forcibly told other Jews, if you don't get circumcised, uh, it's going to mean the death penalty for you. And uh, that was during the Maccabean uh, time and the Maccabean revolt. And the Maccabees were, you know, that's the whole story of Hanukkah and, and the rededication of the temple. And then there was the reverse side of that, which uh, if if you wanted to become circumcised, it meant big trouble for you. Uh, that was later on after, after Yeshua came. If you were circumcised, it meant taxes, it meant uh, persecution, and in some cases, it even meant death, and that that's up into the uh, the, the times of the Crusades and things like that. Um, so let's we we don't have a whole lot of time left, but I and we're going to carry this show over into next week because Rob Van Hoff has done extensive work on uh, the idea of what does it mean to be circumcised on the eighth day, and and this you know what you call Rob, you call them the eight day eighth dayers. Uh, so we're going to talk about all that next week, but let's open Pandora's box and leave people wanting more. Uh, so we're going to we're going to talk uh, before we before we leave. We're going to talk about uh, Galatians five two through three, and I'm going to read it real quick. This is out of the ESV version. He says, "Look, I Paul say to you." That if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. And uh, so, right there, I mean, doesn't that prove, Rob, that uh, we're wrong? Paul Paul did away with, with circumcision. He said that if you want to uh, get circumcised, then you have to keep all of the law. Isn't that right? Yeah, and it, and it, it continues. The next, I actually like to read through uh verse six if you don't mind oh, I, I don't mind at all hang on let's uh let me get back to it 
You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. All right. And so my understanding of this uh, passage here, well, and you know, in our uh, second year Greek in the third quarter, we're in third quarter, second year Greek. We have three students. We're reading through Galatians. That's what we're doing in mm-hmm. Greek mm-hmm. every Wednesday night, and it's wonderful. Uh, um, and I, I just want to encourage listeners that have thought about studying Bible languages. You know, there is there is no short term solution to the messiness out there. Our, our solution is long term. Um, and we've talked about this with different students and, and I and uh, Tim Haig has talked about this. The long-term solution, we just need to, to do the hard work. We need to study the languages, study the history, uh, take our time, study the scriptures, and uh, try to, to uh, encourage others and, and help them get a taste of the joy of being able to do that. And, and so anyway, that's my little plug for well, Greek. And, and you uh, know, <laughs> what, what I would like to say about um, that, that passage, let's start to set up an answer here because we do have, we're not out of time yet, but uh, let's start to set up an answer here. First of all, we know that, that Paul couldn't be saying that circumcision is done away with, right? We, we know that because uh, if Paul would have taught that, that would have gone against the scripture that was in place and is still in place, but was in place in his time. Paul himself says in in, uh, in 2 Timothy, I believe it is, 3.16, he says, all scripture is inspired and uh, so on and so forth. You can go read that for yourself if you'd like to. And if you're a child listening to this, uh, ask your parents to sit down and read read uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. And, uh, so, and when you read that, think about the idea that the only scriptures that they had at the time, they didn't have the apostolic scriptures or what the uh, church likes to call the New Testament. They only had the Tanakh or what the church likes to call the Old Testament. And so Paul couldn't have come out and said something that is in the Tanakh shouldn't be kept. If he would have done that, then everybody would have said, absolutely not. You're not a true teacher. Get out of here. So something else is going on here. He can't be saying that circumcision is no longer relevant. On the contrary, he has to be saying that circumcision actually is relevant. Um, So in this passage, one of the things that we need to remember, I, I always have to uh, think of this when I'm reading Galatians and other things. I am, and we've talked a lot about the new perspective on Paul. We've talked about N.T. Wright on our shows before. If you haven't heard those, uh, that's okay. You can go back and listen to some of them if you have a full access pass. Uh, but I'll, I'll just kind of bring up some of those points. First of all, Rob and I do hold to the idea that uh, circumcision is used as a shorthand for conversion. And one of the things that we believe was going on in the in the first century is is the Jews, and this is actually still around today. This still is a theology held by uh, many different sects of Judaism. That is that if you are born as a Jew or born into the the line of of uh, Jacob that you're automatically in and the verse all israel is saved is a is what is the go-to verse for that so the idea that all israel is saved they believe that you have salvation quote unquote salvation through bloodline and this is something that was prevalent in uh, Yeshua's time and in Paul's time. And so I see Galatians as basically Paul combating this very thing. He's uh, going to this group in Galatia and saying, uh, no, it's not through your bloodline. It's not through, uh, you know, you're not in just because you are descended from Jacob. On the contrary, uh, salvation is through faith alone. And so he uses this word circumcision uh, as a shorthand for the idea of being in through lineage. And I think that this is exactly what's going on here in in Galatians 5, 2 through 3. And uh, one of the things that I, one of the uh, verses that I like to go to, to uh, kind of uh, shed light on this is in it's in Galatians It's a little bit later though it's in 613 he says for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh and uh, so this whole passage from 5 through 6 and well all of Galatians for that matter seems to be uh, talking against the idea of salvation through bloodline do you want to talk about that quickly sure yeah there's so much around this uh passage, Galatians 5, and the whole letter, for example. Um, But the reason I like to read all the way through verse 6, at least when we're talking about uh, 
chapter 5, the, the initial verses there, is because in verse 6 he, he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. And what we have to understand is that Paul, Caleb, like you were just saying, is describing these social groups, not the, not the physical commandment. Well, hang on. You stopped where everybody else stops. Uh, it's interesting that he says circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing, uh, but what matters is keeping the law, is keeping the Torah. That's in the other. That's right. That's in. Uh, is that in First Corinthians? That is in First. Uses, yeah, yeah. But yeah. but it's the same idea. The idea is that faith working by love is what's important. Is that's that's how we keep the Torah. Faith working by love is the new creation, the resurrected life of Yeshua in the heart of the believer who cries out, "Abba, Father," mm-hmm. and I want uh, teach me your commandments. Help teach me to walk in your ways. It's the promise of the the new heart, the new spirit that puts his Torah inside of us, not compelled from the outside. What Paul is combating is these these agitators or these troublers, whoever they are. Um, I'm of the opinion that they are not believers. You know, I've, we're reading a lot of these modern Christian commentaries. They say that they were Jewish Christians that were compelling. And I agree. I, I've read your dad's commentary, too, and your dad says, there, uh, Tim Hague says, there's no reason to call these people Christians. As far as Paul was concerned, they did not understand the gospel, and they were not preaching uh, anything that would be close to what the gospel that Paul is, is preaching. If they had even a concept of Messiah, it was marginal to this idea of physical circumcision to, uh, to support group identity. And what's important here is Paul's contrasting faith working by love versus compulsion. In verse in chapter 1, it's, or no, beginning of chapter 2, Galatians, it says that Titus, they tried to compel Titus mm-hmm. to be circumcised. Um, and then it says they force, they compel you to be circumcised. In other words, this is a pressure, peer pressure from the outside, trying to tell people who have new life in Messiah, you're not doing it right yet. You need to do this, this, and this. And there, and the, these Galatians, the, the audience, are wanting, are are buying into it, and they're like, going, oh, I guess you know what you're talking about. I'm going to start." And Paul's coming, and he's trying to to uproot that fundamental distortion and, and error um, that totally affects our understanding of salvation by faith alone and what the new covenant is all about. Uh, the idea that circumcision and uncircumcision are, um, for Paul, categories of social groups, not talking about commandments, is also clear in Romans 2, where he says towards the end, he says, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And then he does the opposite. He says, um, if if someone, uh, or verse 25, I just looked it up. Uh, it says, if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision is made uncircumcision. In other words, we're not talking about physical circumcision here. Because someone, he, Paul's not saying that the physically circumcised person, when he transgresses the Torah, the Jiru, that he phys- then all of a sudden he loses his, you know, all of a sudden his foreskin grows back. You know, he's not, <laughs> he's not being, li- he's not literal. He's using these categories um, in a in a different way. So when Paul says in verse three of chapter five, "I testify to every man that is circumcised," he's not talking about the person who, in, in as a new creation, is be, uh, goes undergoes the physical sign according to Romans four that this is a seal of the righteousness of Abraham's faith that he had while being uncircumcised. That Paul's not talking about that person. He's talking about the person that is uh, buying into peer pressure, thinking that, oh, I need to, I need to uh, become part of this group, the circumcision, and I need to do this conversion process. Yeah, I need to become uh, part of, of the I, lineage yeah, of Jacob. I'm, because my faith, because I'm not yet fully in. Yeah. And, and that's why Paul, in verse 6 of chapter 5, says, neither this group nor that group, but faith, in the Messiah. Working yeah. through love. And then, Caleb, like you mentioned, I think it's in one of the first, I think it's First Corinthians, he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Yeah. And by that, when Paul talks about faith working through love, when he talks about keeping the commandments of God, he is putting a divide between the traditions of the elders, the traditions of men, and the, and the peer pressure associated with circumcision. If you even think about the pressure to get another taste from Luke's perspective, read Acts 10 and 11, where Peter 
goes in, you know, he has this really radical vision that he finally clicks. Oh, I need to go. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not transgressing. Yeah, I, I can my, cross those. I can cross those those social my, boundary lines. Although my tradition is really, I'm really nervous about this because I'm doing it wrong. Uh, what the Holy Spirit is teaching Peter there is no, no, you're not transgressing the Torah by going in and sharing the gospel. And, and then what happens in Acts 11? The people, you know, other believers who are of the circumcision come and say, you ate, you went in and you ate with uncircumcised men. Yeah. You know, and then he's like, okay, I know, but let me tell you. And we have to realize that there, politics, religion, you know, we can't divide those things for the for our first century uh, fathers in the faith. You That's know? right. They, 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 the, all these things were so enmeshed together. It was it was hard for them to understand so clearly as it is for us today, the difference between the written Torah, the commandments of God and the accumulated leaven, the traditions. And that's why we get it in Mark seven in Matthew 15, um, in Galatians, in Romans in, in uh, Ephesians and Colossians, you know, we, the contrast between the traditions of the men of men, which nothing wrong with tradition, but when tradition begins to define our identity to where we're condemning and actually can make others feel like they're less than and they're not full members because they're not adhering to our local tradition, uh, that needs to totally be wiped off the map. And that's actually that actually plays into the whole idea of sola scriptura. Uh, and I, I'm pretty sure that everyone uh, listening knows that I am a very, very firm supporter of the doctrine of sola scriptura. Well, we are out of time, and uh, we're going to continue this conversation uh, next week. We're going to talk about what is known as the eighth dayers. We're going to talk about the idea of conversion in our modern time, and uh, should messianics uh, jump on board with the idea of co- of converting and becoming uh, part of Israel, uh, quote unquote, of course. Uh, so join us next week as we talk about circumcision which is the sign of our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah.